As soon as he told me, I had always trusted him. He did all the paperwork, he did all the bills. I started searching through files and I got phone records and immediately I saw there was a lot of telephone calls for one particular number. At our work, we have a list of cell phone numbers and I looked and that number was there. And it was one of our employees. After he told me, my mind was kind of like a tape recorder hitting backwards. I would go back and it would stop when there were some strange things that happened. And I would think through and I constantly would think, how did this happen? And I actually think it might have been going on for a while. I don't know for sure. My name is Sharon Betters, and I am so excited to be in the studio today with Patty a dear friend who has experienced a dark time in her life that she never would have chosen on her own, something that was put on her in a way that turned her life upside down. And so today, Patty is going to share with us some of her story and how she found purpose and meaning in a very broken place. Patty, why don't you say hello to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you're here to share today. Hello, my name is Patty, and I have had been married for 15 years when my husband told me that he wanted a divorce, that I had neglected him and spent more time with the children. That's why he was asking for a divorce. I had asked him if there was someone else, and he said no. Further down the road, I did find out that there was someone else. Immediately, I thought it was my fault. I asked him to forgive me, and I wanted to do anything that I could to restore the marriage. He had said that it was too late, but I still continued to do everything that I could possibly to try to restore the marriage. Had two beautiful children, a lovely home. We ran a business together. It was just beyond my understanding. Patty, what you're describing, sadly, is a story that can be told over and over and over again. We know that it's not always the wife who receives that news. We know that sometimes it's the husband who gets that news. But today, you're the wife, so we're going to talk about this from a wife's perspective. You mentioned that you immediately thought you had messed up your marriage, and so you did everything you could to try to fix it. What what were some of the things that you tried? I tried to talk to him. I went to the church. I did get the church involved and had the elders come over and and speak to him. He gave them the answers that they really wanted to hear. There just seemed to be hope. I, I really thought for sure that marriage would be restored. Unfortunately, it wasn't, but I read everything I could. I tried different tactics. I told him that, uh, you know, I would be willing to, you know, spend more time with him, whatever it was, whatever he needed. When did you know trying wasn't going to do anything? I had received a phone call from school, and someone saw him at another church, a local church, and she was with him. I knew that the children had to be told. Once they were told, then there was no turning back. I was afraid my son, who was going into the eighth grade in middle school, that someone would tell him. Someone, one of his friends perhaps, might have seen his father, and that would have been very devastating. So the children needed to be told. So at that point, you knew that that he was involved with somebody else. Before that person called you, you already knew that he was involved with someone else. I did. As soon as he told me, I had always trusted him. He did all the paperwork. He did all the bills. I had completely trusted him. I started searching through files, and I got phone records. And immediately I saw there was a lot of telephone calls for one particular number. At our work, we have a list of cell phone numbers. And I looked and that number was there. And 
It was one of our employees. So he couldn't deny anymore that he was involved with someone else? No. Did you have any hint that this was going to happen? None. After he told me, my mind was kind of like a tape recorder hitting backwards. I would go back and it would stop when there were some strange things that happened. And I would think through and I constantly would think, how did this happen? And I actually think it might have been going on for a while. I don't know for sure. So how did you tell your children? And what did you tell them? Well, first of all, after I received the phone call from school, I knew that it had to be soon. So I immediately thought, you know, he should tell them. This is anything that I wanted. So I called him on his cell phone and, and told him that someone saw him at church with her. And he said, so what? And I said, well, they're afraid that someone in school was going to tell our son. And that would be devastating. So you need to tell the children. And he said, well, it's a school night. And I said, you need to tell the children. So he said he would come over and tell the children. So he did. He came over, but he didn't tell the children. He said he would do it on the weekend. So I talked to my parents who live with us. We have an in-law suite and asked them if they would be with me when I told them. And they said, of course. And ironically, it was their 53rd wedding anniversary that next day. And they said, we're going to go out and we'll celebrate and then we'll do it after that. So we went to Red Lobster. We celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary. And then we came home and we all got together. And first of all, I prayed. Then I told them, all we could do was just hold them. And we held them for hours and hours. My son was very angry, and my daughter didn't understand. Then we prayed, and I asked them to pray for their daddy. And then they said that they couldn't go to school the next day. And I said, you don't have to go to school the next day. And actually, that gave me the opportunity to talk with both of the principals, with uh, my daughters and with my son, and just tell them what happened. And they were going to alert the teachers. And and I have to say, everybody was so wonderful at the school. They, they just lifted us up. How did they do that? Like giving them little things to do, like go on stage. Or they also talked with, um, there was a spiritual director at the time. And he would come over and just chat with my son, told him that if there's anything that he wanted to talk about, that he would be right there for him. Even the students, as far as I know, I know it was embarrassing for them. But their friends stuck with them and encouraged them. How old were your children then? My daughter was seven and my son was uh, 11. Later I found out that when they are 11, that's, that's a common thing for them to be angry. And it, I thought it would be harder for my daughter, but it was a little easier for her. In addition to what you just said, what, what was the most um, helpful thing that the school administration did in your phone call your, your, your first introduction to them of this new crisis in your life, and then follow up. They prayed for me a lot. They sent me emails and cards and just an expression that, uh, you know, we're praying for you, we're praying for your family. It was encouraging. So now your world has been blown up into a million pieces. You're in really what is a foreign country that you never expected to have to visit. What were some of the first steps you took when you knew there's nothing more I can do for this marriage? It's over. The first thing I did was get down on my knees and pray and ask for wisdom and guidance. Of course, I did ask God to restore the marriage, and he didn't, but now I feel that he was protecting me. I asked him to put a hedge of protection around the children for strength and endurance because it's a long, hard process to go through, and every state is different. There's a lot of things that 
that you have to learn that I certainly didn't know about that was difficult. But I do remember Pastor Betters would always say, there's three things that you need to do when you're in a crisis. And one was pray, and two was get into the Word, read the Bible, and that's all I could do. I couldn't watch movies anymore. I couldn't watch television. I couldn't read a book. The only thing I could read was the Bible, and that's exactly where God wanted me to be. So definitely get into the Word. Three was go help someone else. And you think, you know, how can I, in this broken state, help someone else? But that is so key to healing. And the sooner the better. Just go out and help somebody else. Doesn't matter what it is or who it is. Just do it. And then you'll find yourself doing more of that. And it's very healing. Did you feel like doing that? I didn't. Not at all. And so what can you remember some of the things that you did intentionally against your emotions, against your feelings? I was getting some massages because with emotional pain, you also get physical pain. And I would have really bad back pain. So I went to a, it was a chiropractor, but he had a masseuse there. And the particular lady that I had, I didn't realize it at first, but she was blind. She told me a little bits and pieces about her family. She had a husband and two children two twins, and they were two. And I thought, how can someone who is blind, when I thought, well, he must be sighted, okay, and then I found out he was blind as well. He must need help. So as I got to know her a little bit better, I said, you know, have you ever gone out for a date night? They said, not really. So my children and myself offered to watch their children while they went for date nights, and they had to get a dart bus come, and that was something that the children and I could do together. And I would just look on the prayer list and see who was on the prayer list, get on the phone, and just call. Just do it. Just force my—I forced myself. What kind of response did you get from people? It was amazing that uh, I think they couldn't believe that I was coming to help them. And And how often did you take your children with you? It had to depend on what it was, um, but I would try to take them on as much, and then we did a mission trip— to New Orleans. Just about everything I did was with the children. So Patty, what I'm hearing you say is that in the middle of your own pain, you knew that part of the medicine, quote unquote, that might be sour tasting and very difficult to swallow was really obedience to the scriptures of of having a one-anothering spirit where in spite of your own emotions, you chose to be intentional about not just for yourself reaching out, but for your children. This is not all about us. This is about a bigger picture, and we still have purpose, and we still have meaning, and we can still have fun and joy in life, even though our family is not what we wish it could be. When we're so broken, we feel as though we have nothing to offer another person. And so out of the ashes, God could bring beauty into the lives of others. Can you remember how you would feel when you would make that phone call and then how you would feel after making the connection and offering your help to another person? Well, I I journaled it because it was so amazing and I just felt blessed. It was So it was like taking medicine. It was. Yeah. It was. (laughs) Only with much better results and few side effects. (laughs) That's good. Now, you just mentioned something that's near to my heart, and that's journaling. Why did you journal? I mean, why would you want to write down such painful things? And what did it do for you? I had been to many Bible studies, and I always heard journaling, 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 and I I didn't journal. And 
I knew it was something that I had to do, and I really recommend it because I can go back and look at those journals and see how far I've come. It's hard to write at first, and, and I could even see how I just wrote bits and pieces of things, but then it comes so easy. I, I highly recommend that. That's, a, that's also very healing as well. And how? So you can look back, you have a record of your journey. And what I like to often tell people is you think you're never going to forget it. But when you go back into your journal, it's like a light goes on because you, you do forget. But what, what else did it help you do? You said you spent most of your time reading scripture, and now you have journaling added to that. I'm assuming that it was probably all, all in one package. What kind of things would you include in your journal? Well, when God spoke to me, actually, I, I ended up getting another pack of index cards and I would put those in the back of the journal. And when God would speak to me, I wanted to write that down because it's like an epiphany that happens, and I didn't want to forget any of the words, so I would write them down exactly as I heard them. It was almost like, wow. So I kept a record of all those things. So when you say uh, that God spoke to you, you also said it in the same breath as Scripture, that you felt He was speaking directly to you through specific Scriptures. And you wrote those on index cards. And then what, what did you do with those index cards? Have you ever considered sharing that with anybody else, like another woman who is going through a divorce? Absolutely. I, I feel like what God has done in my life, he has redeemed me. And that's the first thing that you want to do is you want to share it. You want to be able to help someone else. So yes, I would... And I have uh, many times I've met with women that are going through something. And, and yes, I, I use that. What a great picture to be able to pull out that stack of cards and mm-hmm. say, this is God speaking. These are love notes from God. It's living. The word is living. And I think so many times we think we're so broken and so hurting that we can't comprehend or process. But in this day and age, there are so many other ways that we can hear the word through through the internet or through our phones or stories or or so on. So we can soak our hearts in the word. And that's what's going to change. That's what's going to change us and equip us. What about finding an attorney? I mean, how did you find the right attorney? Well, that's a good question. And I certainly prayed about it. And I asked God for wisdom. And I looked in the yellow pages. But that's not the best advice. And I would not recommend that. That being said, the attorney that I found in the yellow pages was probably the best attorney for me. At that time, I was broken and I was very fragile, and he was very kind and, and always saying, well, what are you going to do nice for yourself today? And, but then I did switch attorneys, and all I can say it was a God thing because um, the advice came from someone that I had just met. This woman, after I met her, we had some other encounters. We chatted about going to Bible study, and she said that she went to EP Church and that she had a Bible study on Thursdays, invited me to Bible study, and that's when we got to chat a little bit more. And then I told her a little bit about my situation, and then she found out that um, I said, I just, I have an attorney that's not really as on the ball as I really want him to be. And so she asked me who it was, and she said she had a friend that that knew about different attorneys, and he needed to know who my um, husband's attorney was. And at that point, she gave me the name, and she said, you have to. You have to call this. Again, if I would not have been in the Word, and if I would not have asked God for wisdom or guidance, I would have never found the second attorney that was able to really turn things around and help me with my case. 
So what you're describing, I mean, what I'm seeing you describe is that you're, you're, you're in this foreign country, you don't know the language, you don't know the customs, you don't know how to get from place to place. And so your guide is actually the Lord himself yes. through the word and receiving these messages from him. It makes you much more sensitive to your circumstances and to the people that come across your path and thinking, is this the person that's going to answer the need that I have in my heart? Because God has orchestrated this opportunity. So you found an attorney that was just right for your situation. And not that I would recommend that attorney for anyone else, but in my situation, it was the right... The right match. The right match. What if you don't have money for an attorney? Well, um, I think you have to do everything that you can. You can't go through it without an attorney. However, there are ways that you can save money. And again, prior to hiring an attorney, um, I would ask, uh, do they charge for copies and mailing fees? Those are some things that they add on. So you could ask, if you talk to an attorney, you could ask um, what all is included in the fee, because some of those things, it's already incorporated in the fee. So that's good to know ahead of time. And you can ask if there's any ways that you can save money. And if you find an attorney that's willing to work with you, you could do the legwork. You could take the, uh, the mail. You could pick it up and drive it. And there's so much paperwork involved in divorce, and every state is different, but um, there's a lot of things that you can do. But prior to getting an attorney, those are questions that I would uh, definitely ask. But there's so many ways to save money. And again, even if you have to borrow some money or use a credit card, um, don't go through it alone. Why? Why is that important? There are so many little details of paperwork that could end up being very difficult for you if all the T's aren't crossed. Now, when I went through mediation, mediation is actually something that you could probably go through without an attorney. But otherwise, you have a judge at the very beginning, and all this paperwork needs to be done, and it could drag on and drag on. It's long enough. But without an attorney, it would be very difficult. Did you feel as though you needed protection with an attorney, like an attorney would help you navigate this foreign country, but did you feel as though that was critical to protect your interest and the interest of your children? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Now, you mentioned mediation. What What is the difference between, say, I find out that I'm going to be facing a divorce, I have an attorney, but then somebody throws mediation at me. What What would that be like? Well, mediation is, is something that, uh, for instance, for child support, you go to mediation first. That's just something that you have to do. There's a person that you meet with, and that person is not biased, and he or she tries to help you through the process. You try to work it out. And really, with a divorce, it's all about working things out. That's what the judge really wants you to do, is to be able to work things out. And the attorneys should help to try to get those things worked out. And some attorneys are better at that than others. In my situation, we were able to settle out of court. We didn't have to go through court, although there was a lot of other things involved, Mm -hmm. but it ended up that we were able to settle. You mentioned earlier that you, um, as soon as you knew that your marriage was in trouble, you came to the church when you realized that things were not going to turn around on their own. Should you seek help from your local church? How soon? What, What should your expectations be of your local church? 
At first, I didn't even really think about it. And then I had confided in a close Christian friend who went to the same church that I do. And she actually said, I think it's time. She actually told me, I think it's time that you get the church involved. And it was almost like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I'm glad that I did because at the time I was trying to restore my marriage, I didn't want a lot of people to know because it's really better if you don't tell a lot of people. And and then if it does work out, then you don't have to go back and and backtrack. So I didn't really want to tell a lot of people at the time. When I went to the church, the elders are, they're just so amazing. And they prayed, all of them prayed for me. And they would send me emails or text messages every day, praying for you today. And just to know somebody's praying for you, you can feel it. It's it's such a good thing. It's not something that you want to put in the prayer request. So-and-so's husband said she wants to get a divorce and you can't really have the body praying for you, but to have your elders, these strong, godly men praying for you, it's a wonderful thing. So I would say the sooner, the better to get your church involved. And hopefully it's a church like our church that is willing to help. So the leadership of your local church was very compassionate and caring for you. What about your husband? What role did they play in his life? Well, they were also compassionate and caring about him too. They knew he was making a mistake. They 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 wanted to, um, you know, find out from him. Are are you in the scripture? Are you? They wanted to stop him from making a mistake and to repent and come back to the Lord and do what was right. So their goal was to try to get him to turn from his sin and to uh, repent so that he could have a right relationship with the Lord. Did your church leadership help you know when it was time? to say this is over. I I know there's no hope here for this marriage. Well, at at first they thought there was hope. And I don't know that they ever said that there wasn't hope because, you know, I think they they really tried, but they had certain times where he had to meet with them and he just didn't show up. So the handwriting was on the wall. What would you say to a woman who says, but I don't have a church like that? Where would you recommend that she go for that kind of support? I can't even imagine what would have happened if I didn't have a church that was going to support me. Mm -hmm. And I do know that there there are other churches out there that just kind of want to brush that under the table. Find a church that that would be willing to help. It really points out the need to make sure that the church that your family is in is a scripture-based church where the gospel is primary and where you're connected and you have relationships and you can go to your leadership. That's one of the perks, so to speak, of church membership and of being part of a solid gospel preaching and teaching local church. But on the other hand, I also know that when if, if you're not in a church like that and you go through this process alone, one of the best things you can do is to find a, a church for your family and get connected and don't just sit on the back pew, but let them know we're in trouble, we need help, and, and allow the church to love you and help you in that, in that place. You had a business together and you were both working in the same place, you and your husband. How did that work? Well, that was probably the most difficult process for me to deal with. And it was something that I knew I had to do. It was, it was very, very difficult. By prayer and petition and God's grace, I was able to. And it, it wasn't easy, and it never got any easier. They started to take things away from me. First, it was my computer. And so I took my laptop in. And then it was my phone. Well, that's okay. But I, I, had, to, I had to carry scripture with me. 
and I kept it in an index, little index uh, card. It's kind of like a little box. And I had different scripture that would strengthen me. And some of the scripture that was helpful was Psalm 31, 1 through 5, Ephesians 6, 10 through 19, which is the armor of God. I had to put on the armor of God to do that. Exodus 14, 13 through 13a through 14, and Deuteronomy 31, 6. And what was the main thrust of those passages to you that encouraged you? That the Lord was my rock and my redeemer, and he was not going to put me to shame, and he was going to hold me up, and he was going to protect me. He was not going to let me (laughs) go through it alone. You were in a very—I can't even imagine being in that position, Patty, where you're in a business that you built with your husband, Mm -hmm. and now there seems to be this movement to make you the outsider— and how to fight the urge to strike back and to allow bitterness to take root in your own heart. Was that a struggle for you? Did you have to battle those kinds of feelings? Or did God just do the supernatural work in you? Well, he did do that. But there was definitely bitterness. And of course, the first thing you want to do is retaliate. But then when you get into the word, you know, you don't have to, because God will take care of it. He sees what's going on, and he's going to do that for you. You don't have to do anything. Just be still. And, uh, but forgiveness was difficult. It, it probably took two and a half years, I think it was, <laughs> before I was able to forgive. And it was a bitterness that was growing in me, like a, like a root that kind of turned into a tree. And I had to ask God to take that away. Really, it benefited me to give it to the Lord. I wish it wouldn't have taken so long. I wish I could have done that right away. But I was able to take that away, and, and it was freeing. But how did that happen? I would think that would be one of the hardest things for a betrayed woman, a betrayed wife, to be able to let go of that bitterness and the, you know, having the conversations in your head over and over again where you really lay out the the ex-husband and his and his girlfriend or wife and where you can just spew it all out there and and let them know how awful they are. What happened in those two and a half years to lead you to a point where you were able to say, all right, Lord, you need to do something here? Bitterness can ruin relationships and no one wants to be around a bitter person. Forgiveness is necessary. Someone told me that adultery is an unforgivable sin, but that's not what Jesus says. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us all from all unrighteousness. When Jesus gave His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, He taught us how to live. He also, in Matthew 6, taught us how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. In verse 12, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others who trespass against us. That is so simple, and yet we make it so complex. If we want to be forgiven, we need to forgive others. But it is complex because I don't believe we can do it on our own. We need to seek and bathe in the grace and forgiveness of God. God's grace is possible. From Forgiving Others by Timothy S. Lane, he notes, Forgiving others and asking for forgiveness are supernatural works of grace. They only happen when God's forgiveness captivates our hearts. This celebration of God's grace must happen daily. You know, Patty, uh, when we talk about forgiveness, uh, and we're probably going to kind of be repeating some of the things we've already talked about, but I think it bears repeating is that it's hard. 
sometimes I, I wonder if some people are just more geared for being able to forgive than others. And, and I'm sure that, you know, that could be part of it. But I see it as such a supernatural work of grace in a, a person's life when they're able to look at such uh, betrayal, whether it's in marriage or anywhere else, and be able to come to a point of not being filled with rage and anger every time you think about that person. I mean, how I see the joy in your face, I see your eyes, I know that your faith is genuine, but I also know your grief is deep. But how do you explain that? It, can you can you unpack this even more for someone who is saying, that's easy for you to say, Patty, what would you say to that person? I would say that it really wasn't easy. I was filled with anger and I was filled with rage. And I didn't really want to forgive because I was afraid I would possibly be a doormat. But I knew that that's what God was leading me to do. I knew that that's what I had to do. I had done everything else that I could do, but I needed to forgive. And it took a long time. It took a lot of prayer and and seeking God. And by reading the Word, you can't just pick up a Bible and, and just start reading it. I have a one-year Bible, and that's it was actually easy. So I recommend to anyone who is just starting out to get a one-year Bible. Great devotionals are also helpful. And at the time, I was reading Streams in the Desert. Also, Jesus Calling is another uh, very good devotional. But uh, first, before you actually read the Bible, the first thing that you need to do is pray. And you need to ask God to help these words come to life, to take what you're reading and put it into your perspective for life. And then you, when you read, then pray again. And sometimes you get your answer and sometimes you don't. But for the forgiveness, it took me quite a long time. But finally, once I was able to, it was very liberating. I think sometimes when we're broken, we we think only scriptures that apply to our specific circumstance or a Give me a book on grief or give me a book on losing a child. For me, that's what it would be. What would you say to that person who would say, I can't read through the whole Bible. I just need something about my divorce. I just need something about this unfaithful husband. Talk to me about that. How how would you respond? I think this book, this Bible is filled with forgiveness all through the Bible. And in the one-year Bible, it actually breaks the Bible down. And it gives you a little piece of the Old Testament, a little piece of the New Testament, and a proverb and a psalm. And really, it only takes about 30 minutes a day. Now, when you pray and you read, sometimes you'll want to reread, and it could take longer, but the whole book is filled, and that is the best place to start. Well, you know, and I think if we can look at it as the Word is the bread, it's food for our souls. And we need to have all of it. Just as in healthy eating, you know, sometimes we get so focused on one kind of food and think that's going to be the magic potion when most scientists will say it, it needs to be well-rounded because everything works together. And I found that for myself, too, when uh, I was struggling so hard to just breathe after the death of our son and the word. Uh, I would read passages like you. I would just, I had a plan because I had no energy to figure out anything else on my own. And asking the Lord to open up a scripture that in another circumstance would have had nothing to do with grief. And yet it was a critical piece to putting the whole picture of God's character 
and his love and his sovereignty into one picture so that it all started making sense to me. And I think, I think another piece that uh, we, we really need to uh, focus on, too, is we, what is our personal relationship to Christ? Because sometimes we, there's a generic sense of God's love and um, I'm trusting the Lord, I'm trusting God, but we don't have that personal intimacy with Christ. And so would you agree that your own view of what Christ did for you was important in leading you to knowing how to forgive your husband. Absolutely. And as a Christian, when this happened to me, when I had given myself to Jesus as my Lord and Savior, when I started reading the Word, if I hadn't done that, it wouldn't be as meaningful as it was to me. Before you can really soak up and seek the Word, I do think that you need to have that personal relationship with Jesus. And the key in that personal relationship uh, at least in my own life, has been when I'm in a situation where I feel hurt by another person. It is easier to get to that point, and I use the word easy loosely. You know that it's never easy. But when I can remember my own condition without Christ, when I remember I am a sinner, did I do what that person did? Maybe not, but my sin is enough that I have no hope without Jesus. And yet he forgave me. He forgave me so much. And perhaps because of his presence in my life, maybe I'm not doing some of the same things other people are doing, but my sin is just as dark. Sin is a sin, even my sins. I think the hard part uh, for many of us is we, we can say, yes, sin and sin, but there are consequences to some sin that on a person-to-person level are so much greater. And so forgiveness takes on a whole different perspective. I've seen women in your situation who have learned how to forgive, and there is a joy in their life. There's a freedom. There's still grief. There's still sorrow. There's loss. And many would say it's the worst thing that's that I could ever imagine happening to me because it was such a betrayal. But have found freedom in forgiveness and because of Jesus. And then there are those who just cannot seem, they cannot make that choice to do it. And they're filled with such rage and bitterness and anger. When our son uh, died, I, I remember, you know, the challenge of trying to because forgiveness, there's a lot of forgiveness there, too, or that I had to work through in my own heart. But I tried to picture myself 10 years, 20 years from that date. What did I want to be like? What did I want to be known as? Did I want to be viewed as a bitter old woman who had no purpose, who just fed on her grief and was known for her grief? Or did I want to be known as a woman who had experienced grace and found purpose? And when it seemed too hard to make the choice to be in the Word and to trust the Lord with my days, that picture would come to mind. Which, which pathway are you going to take today? Is it going to be the one of bitterness? And then another um, driving force for me, which I know is for you too, was my children. At that time, they were all, you know, they lived at home and they were, they were older. They, they were kind of teen, young adult, but I still felt a grave responsibility for them and any grandchildren. And I wanted them to know um, a generation from now, if, if God forbid something like what happened to us would happen to them, that they would look at us and say, mom and dad 
Graham and Granddad, they found a way in Christ, and so I can too. And I believe that was another incentive to go to the Word. And I hear you saying the same thing. Definitely, because my children were young at the time. They were 7 and 11, and I felt like I needed to be in the Word before I, they were even awake so that I could make it through the day to take care of them and to be a godly example. There is a saying that uh, to not forgive is like eating rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. And what a picture that is. How did you know that the bitterness was taking over in your own life and affecting your children and others around you? Well, I had taken all the other steps, and there was one last thing that I knew that I needed to fix. When I would see him, I would constantly dwell on it and think of things, think of ways that I could get revenge, like, Lord, why don't you do this? And, you know, she could cheat on him, and then he would see how it feels. And it was just taking over. And when you journal these things, you can see it, that this is getting that bitter root. And, you know, you read it in scripture that it needs to go away. And so as you're watching, you're, you're using up a lot of emotional energy on thoughts that are going to produce no good fruit. So really, Patty, what I'm, you know, what I'm sensing is that a woman who is facing this kind of upside down world that she could never have imagined could happen is faced with hard choices where the short-term choice of anger and revenge and bitterness really seems like the easier choice, and it is the easier choice at the time. But the harder choice is better in the long run. I see women who five years later are in deeper bitterness than they were when they found out that their husband was betraying them. They have children And yet that doesn't seem to help them face the reality of their own choices. You know, the blame is all on the betrayer. You know, he did this. He did this to me. That's why I am the way that I am. Instead of thinking, okay, he did that, but that doesn't mean he has to control my destiny. And the children need me to step up to this plate. I mean, was there a point in your life where you thought that? Was that an immediate thought as soon as you knew it's over? How did having your children help you to make those hard decisions and to keep stepping when you didn't feel like it? I knew immediately that I had to step up because their world was falling apart. And my parents, they celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary, as I had mentioned, and I couldn't even relate to what they were going through. So I knew that I had to do everything that I could to be a good role model. Also, be careful what you say. Always think about what you say. Don't ever say anything bad. I didn't want to say anything bad about my husband or my ex-husband, and I still am very careful not to ever say that because that is their father, and you do have to be careful with that. I felt like I needed to step up instantly. And what about teaching your children about forgiveness? Have you had conversations with them about forgiving their father? Do they see a need to do that? We've had many conversations about that. And I have to say one of the the best things that I did, and I, I mean, I'm not an expert or anything, my children were always involved in a Wednesday evening program 
Little Wicks or Boys Brigade. And after that happened, after we were told, it was a, it was the time that that was going to start up again. And I knew I couldn't take them. School was hard enough to get through. We couldn't do a Wednesday night. So my pastor, Pastor Betters, he wrote a book on Proverbs called Teaching Them Young. So I actually made a Bible study out of that book. And on Wednesday nights, they go to a Christian school, so there wasn't any homework on Wednesday nights because they really wanted the children to go to uh, Wednesday night events. So they would get their uh, baths and pajamas on, and they would all meet me on the big bed with their Bibles. And we would have a Bible study every Wednesday night, and we went through the Proverbs. And it was wonderful. It was a special time that we had together. And I don't think they'll ever forget that. Your husband at first denied that there was anyone else, but you soon realized he definitely was having an affair. What did you do when you found out? Well, at first I was in shock. I just couldn't even believe it. But then that's when things started to make a little bit more sense. Then I thought, well, maybe it wasn't all my fault that this happened. But I confronted her. And before I did, I asked God to give me the words to say. And I can't even remember everything that I did say. But at first I thought, well, I don't know if I feel better saying those things. But then I prayed about it. And I knew that those were the words that God wanted her to hear. Anyway, she had to get him. So then he had to hear too. And then I also confronted her husband. She was married at the time as well. So I wanted to see if he knew about it. Of course, he did. I was the last to know. I would say it didn't do any good other than maybe got some things off of my chest. I think one of the most painful places for a woman in this uh, situation is to feel responsible. And, and the other party typically tries to make you feel responsible, to make the wife feel responsible. This is your fault. If you had been a better wife, I would feel differently about you. And the rejection. I've, I've had some women say, I'd rather my husband died than he divorced me because what he's saying is, I reject you. And if he dies, he didn't have a choice. But if he's divorcing me, he's saying, I just don't want to be with you anymore. You're not worth it to me. Did you have those feelings? And how did you deal with those kinds of feelings? Of course, I had those feelings. I was able to get some Christian counseling, and I recommend that. And my counselor said that he's justifying those things to make it so that he can make it right. So then I was able to understand. It, it made me feel a little bit better. Also, again, it is rejection. And God just took away all that shame. And I, I don't feel like I have any shame. Or Did that take a long time for you? No. You're a newly divorced woman. For you to say to someone you just met, well, I'm divorced, or you go to your church and you, you sit there as a divorced woman, you're alone now in church without your husband. Did you feel guilt or shame over that? And really, Patty, do you think that it's reasonable for a woman to accept those feelings and own those feelings when she did not choose the divorce, when this was really forced on her? Or do you think these are self-imposed feelings? Probably a little bit of both. She shouldn't feel any shame. I don't think that, that a woman should feel shame, although in this culture, especially in the church, that can... Uh, that can happen, that you can feel shamed. But again, if you're in the Word and you're close to the Lord and you know that you're walking with Him, take it away. And if you do feel shame, ask Him to take it away. Patty, one of the reasons I was really attracted to your story and was hoping that you would be able to share it as a means to offer help and hope to others is that I've known other women who have 
gone through similar circumstances. And sadly, it, it happens so much more often than we like to believe, where she has no idea that her marriage is in trouble and suddenly finds out that her husband is involved with another woman. Um, the divorce comes. It's imposed on her. She has no desire for it. And her anger and her bitterness take deep root in her heart. And she doesn't seem able to move beyond that anger and bitterness. Her children are affected. Everyone around her feels that rage that is boiling up inside of her. And this could be years later, where her whole life has been destroyed by that unexpected bomb that went off in her home. But what I see in you, what I saw in you uh, throughout this whole journey was that you went back to what you knew. You went back to the roots of your faith, and you went back to the uh, fundamentals of your faith, which seems like old news to people, but there's no magic potion. And yet there's a supernatural work that is available for us when we're broken. Uh, And it's through the word. It's through the living word that God applies uniquely to each situation. I mean, even what you were describing about spending time in the scriptures and a verse would pop out and you would know that it was God speaking to you. That happened to me so many times in the years after the death of our son, Mark, you know, the grief. And it's, you want other women to experience that, to experience that intimacy with Christ. Absolutely. And so even in the darkness, God used that in your life to lead you into a very holy place, especially in the darkness, where you've experienced intimacy with Him that you never would have. He gave you treasures there in that darkness. He absolutely did. And now that I look back, I I don't know that I would say that I feel better off, but I I have a closer relationship with the Lord. I have joy. I'm able to see things with more beauty than I did before, almost like um, the scales have lifted and even the sunset or the sun and the cloud, everything's just so much more beautiful now. And maybe it was because of those years in darkness and everything seemed to be black. And maybe that's why, but uh, I do see things um, much differently now. And I do have joy and I feel that God was protecting me. It's such an unusual thing to hear you say that he was protecting you when it would appear that so much was taken away from you. And yet what you're saying is he gave you so much more than what you had lost. And so as we finish up our time with Patty, I want to encourage those of you who are listening to recognize the help and the hope that Patty's story of redemption offers to you whether or not your world has been broken by divorce or a broken relationship or some other grave loss that there is hope in the darkness that God promises treasures in the darkness and that's the story that we've heard today from Patty where you can find the same kind of transformation through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ This moving and informative interview was produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. 
To contact Mark Inc. Ministries for more information on other resources, call us toll free at 877 Mark Inc. That's 877 627 5462. Visit us online at markinc.org to see what other free resources are available for Mark Inc. Ministries. Our message today comes from the Learning to See When the Lights Go Out series and is designed to offer help and hope to those who have been struck by the pain from a variety of sources. If you or someone you know or love is struggling, you are likely to find a Mark Inc. Ministries resource on that topic to offer a bit of hope to that pain. That website again is markinc.org. You can also contact Chuck and Sharon Betters in care of Mark Inc. Ministries at 2880 Summit Bridge Road, Bear, Delaware, 19701. Mark Inc. Ministries, making abundant riches known in the name of Christ.